You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for everything hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You'll learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter, shooter, and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 13. Feathers and Fur magazine owner and editor, Graham Eames. All right, this is our last episode uh, for 2011. Uh, let me just say uh, thanks to everyone that's tuned into the show, that's rated on iTunes and I can't honestly thank everyone enough for making the podcast what it is today. Uh, I think this podcast, and again, I might be a bit biased, but is the foremost uh, podcast in Australia for hunting, shooting and fishing and the outdoorsman. I think that's been proven over the episodes we've put out in 2011. And uh, I've got a lot coming up for 2012 for guests that you guys are just going to love. Uh, we're going we're to hopefully have a uh, deer hunting on how to deer hunt. Uh, a guest on our show. Uh, we're going to have some interesting guests that I may wait until I actually interview them before I put the word out. But uh, you guys are going to love it. Um, over the last few days, people have uh, donated money to the Australian Hunting Podcast to get you know some new equipment for the podcast. Um, as you guys know, it takes a lot of my time to do this podcast, a lot of time to edit, a lot of time to email guests, a lot of time to write up questions. So the fact that you you guys and you guys know who you are that have put money into the podcast, thank you very very much from the bottom of my heart. I truly truly appreciate it, and I wish you how much you know you knew how much I really do appreciate it, and thank you very much again. We've got people that are in the armed forces listening over from Afghanistan. Yeah, the word about the Australian hunting podcast is spreading far and wide. So thank you to everyone. Tell your friends and family jump on if they love the outdoors and they love hunting and shooting and fishing to jump on and listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, so thanks again. We're going to be bigger and better in 2012, so I hope to see you all here. I hope you continue listening. The numbers have been fantastic, far what I could have possibly imagined. And uh, thank you, thank you very, very much. So I'm going to get on my soapbox again, you know, my weekly soapbox, and just say, don't forget, you can subscribe to iTunes to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can uh, check that out in the show notes below. Uh, Twitter, AH Podcast. Don't forget to jump on our Twitter page. Uh, you can also email us at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com or jump on our Facebook page, Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, we've got people on there talking about all things hunting and shooting, you know, politics, you name it, it's been talked about. Post up your photos. I always love seeing people's photos after they come back from a hunt. And uh, there's several people on there that love putting their photos up, which, you know, I love seeing. It's fantastic. So, uh, don't forget uh, my business website where I do most of my blog and also my feral control business at aussieferalcontrol.com.au or if you want to check out some of my videos on YouTube, you can also do that under the same name, Aussie Feral Control, A-U-S-S-I-E, Feral Control, and uh, you can check out some of my uh, sporting clays, some of my reviews. Uh, I've got about 30 or 40 videos up there, so check them out. Uh, that's pretty much about it. So again, I just wanted to thank everybody that's uh, either donated to the show and they know who they are, all the listeners. Um, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and you've got something out of it. And uh, I certainly have, even though I put a lot of my time into this. Uh, it's certainly worth you know what I've put into it and getting the word out there and hunting and shooting, not only for the people that I've met, uh, the hunting opportunities, the business opportunities, just fantastic. I mean, you know, thanks from the bottom of my heart to everyone that's listened to the show. So in saying that, 
why don't I stop talking and let's get into my interview with Feathers and Fur magazine owner and editor, Graham Eames. This is John Tingle, founder of The Shooter's Party and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Graham Eames, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jason. No problem. Fantastic. So, all right, I guess for listeners sort of who don't know, you know, about yourself and your personal history, can you give us uh, a bit of a rundown uh, and also your involvement and the inception of the uh, Feathers and Fur magazine? Oh, yeah. Well, look, I've been a for many, many years <laughs> and... Um, I got involved uh, with Field and Game, Victorian Field and Game, as it was called back then, uh, in the early 80s. I'd been involved with it at school when I was at Wangaratta um, in the 70s, and I ended up being on the Field and Game State Executive Committee and uh, longest-serving member on the State Executive in the end. Uh, and then we just decided to put together a magazine. Friends and I were... We used to buy magazines from overseas all the time. We were shotgunners, we were gun dog trialers, we were clay target shooters, and all of the Australian magazines that existed back then didn't cater for what we wanted to do. So we had, um, we bought American magazines, English ones, and we were sitting around a barbecue one day, and I got a couple of friends who were printers, and I said, geez, wouldn't it be great if we could get the best of all these magazines into one in Australia. And uh, it sort of went on from there. So we did, we put one together and that's how we started it off. Yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, I love my shotguns too, so it's always good to uh, see just a dedicated field shotgunning magazine. So how long has Feathers and Fur magazine been uh, in print for? Uh, we're going into our 16th year now. But uh, <laughs> the funny part about it was we, we launched it in February of 95 and... 95 was the start of the big drought, which turned out to be our longest drought in history. So here we were launching a predominantly waterfowl hunting magazine, and all the duck seasons Australia-wide got closed in 1995, all except Tasmania. So Tassie was the only state that had a duck season the year we launched the magazine. And of course, it went on from there, and every year the drought got worse and worse and worse. So we had to try and build up the magazine during a drought when all our swamps were dying and ducks were being closed everywhere. 95 was also the year that New South Wales banned all duck and quail hunting. So here we were launching the magazine in 95, the year New South Wales banned it all. And then we had a 203 no seasons. Uh, then we had a Queensland had a no season 04 and then they banned it in 05. And then, of course, we had uh, no seasons in 2007 and 2008, and the seasons were all reduced down to you know two ducks a day in Victoria and places. So yeah, it's been we've been going 16 years, but it's been a pretty hard 16 years. It only rained last last September, so hopefully things are all going to come good now. Yeah. So how how was that during that period? You know, trying to trying to build up a magazine. And, you know, obviously coming under those sort of, you know, hardships, especially with the banning in the certain states, how did you, did, 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 did it take off or was it slow and progressive or? Well, surprisingly, it, it, it took off. But um, you also had in that period, you had Port Arthur and the great gun buyback. So what it did, uh, the drought and the gun buyback and all the gun laws, 
it actually, in the closing of duck seasons in New South Wales and Queensland, it slaughtered the, the firearms industry and the dealers and the importers. So uh, advertising was um, very, very hard to come by and uh, very slim. And the other thing too is shotgunning is a very, very small percentage of the overall firearms market in Australia. The majority of firearms sold in Australia are, are long arms are rifles. And shotgunning is really only super strong in uh, Victoria, the southern river arena of New South Wales, the southeast corner of South Australia, and Tasmania. The rest of the country is all rifles. Couldn't imagine. I love me shotguns. I've got three. I've got more shotguns than rifles. Go figure. <laughs> if you're Victorian and you're a shotgunner, you think the whole world revolves around shotguns. But uh, there's actually more Victorians hunt with rifles than there are with shotguns. Yeah, so, so what goes into sort of, tell the listeners sort of what goes into the making of the, of the four issues uh, of the magazine each year. So how, I mean, how do you get a sort of all the articles together, the printing, um, you know, the subscriptions? Is it quite, a, quite an arduous process to get it out you know, four, was it four times per year? Oh, it's a lot of work because there's only two of us do it. There's uh, myself and my wife, Julie. Uh, my two daughters were working with us part-time until they went and followed their own career paths. <clears throat> but yeah, there's a hell of a lot of work involved because we do everything from scratch. We do all uh, typesetting, design, layouts, graphics, uh, organising all the printers, um, chasing up advertising, making up advertisements, doing all the accounts and books. So it's a, it's a pretty horrendous job. A lot of people... A lot of people have said to us, oh, why don't you go bi-monthly and do six a year? Or why don't you go every month? And I said, no way, it's impossible. We're not going down that track. It just couldn't be done. Yeah, and also comes, you've probably done a lot of, I mean, before it even started, you've done a lot of work, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes like I do with this podcast, a lot of the work at your own cost and your own expense. So, I mean, it's lucky people have even got a magazine to read. So I guess, I guess they can sort of consider themselves fairly lucky too. Well, the funniest part about it is everyone, everyone seems to think that uh, we're away hunting all the time because they're reading about the, you know, the activities we participate in, ventures and all that sort of thing. I actually go away hunting now less than what I did when, before I did the magazine. Um, and particularly my dog trialling and dog training, I used to be very, very heavily into that, but that suffered badly on the training side because... Those couple of hours every day that you do when you got home from work and all spent sitting in the office. So even when you go away to do field trips, uh, the work still has to be done. So every time we are home in the office, there's 12-hour days or more. There's nothing for me to start out here at 7 in the morning and finish at 11 o'clock at night and start again the next morning at 7 and even even eat meals in the office. Um, the work still has to be done. Luckily, with technology these days, things have changed a little bit, but sometimes our office can be wherever we are, two laptop computers, two mobile phones, and it can be wherever we are. So quite often you'll find me camped on the edge of a, a swamp during the duck season, and I've hunted in the morning, but I'll be sitting back in camp with the laptop computer going all day, working, <laughs> getting, getting ready for, before the evening hunt. So what, so what do you, does uh, you and your wife, Julie, have separate, you know, what you do in regards to what particular parts of the business you guys look after? She's the graphic design, accounts, uh, the layouts, uh, advertising with the clients. Um, I'm putting together 
articles or collecting articles and doing other things. Uh, we've got a couple of nicknames for us. Um, I'm called the creative genius and she's called the button pusher. <laughs> right. <laughs> so without, without, without her, nothing comes together and nothing works. So, Graham, is this obviously the part of the magazine? Is this more of your, your full-time job or you sort of, you've got other employment elsewhere and just sort of just a side project? Uh, no, it started off as a side project. Uh, I was a Commonwealth Meat Inspector for the uh, Department of Primary Industry and Australian Quarantine Inspection Service when we started it. And I continued with that job for several years and we just did it as a sideline because magazine started as a hobby and it really still is just a hobby. If I wanted to have made money, I would have stayed as a meat inspector and I'd be a hell of a lot better off financially now than what I, uh, if I had stayed there. But it's full time now, but financially it's still just a sideline and a bit of a hobby. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's all. We wouldn't have a great magazine to read. I, mean, I think I picked up Feathers and Fur probably, I've mean, been back in the firearms sort of scene the last couple of years and picked it up probably six months after getting back in. I'm thinking, wow, shotgunning, this was made for me. So um, I'm always waiting, you know, I've got my local, uh, and I probably will do that after we finish this show. I'll make myself a subscription because uh, I'm always the person that's going down to my local, um, you know, my local uh, news agent going, well, have you got the magazine? You normally got it by now. Like, <laughs> what's happening? So uh, I guess the next question got, probably does go into the next question. What was the reason for dedicating, you know, the magazine just to, as you said, which is a, is a small minority, a field shotgun magazine and say not incorporating rifle or pistol or the likes? Well, the way the publishing industry has gone with uh, desktop publishing uh, these days, uh, like I said before, you know, laptop computer these days, like when we first started it, it was graphics with big sheets of film and it was quite a, quite a complicated and difficult process printing, but it's not anymore. Um, so what's happened is Australia, apparently, I'm told, has the largest number of publications per head of population anywhere in the world and that's because we have the news agent distribution system that happens in Australia so if you think back 50 years ago you used to have magazines like uh, one title pops into mind because I used to get it all the time was the old outdoors magazine so it had uh, hunting and fishing and boating and and all it had everything in the whole thing but now publications have become extremely activity specific. So there's just no place for a magazine that covers everything. If you're a shotgunner, you don't want to pick up a magazine that, uh, that covers all shooting and only has one shotgun article in it, which is what all the magazines in Australia were. Um, and I fully understand why, even to this day, the majority of magazines in Australia are rifle orientated because that's what the market is. That's where the big market is. So that's where the advertisers are. That's where the most uh, readers are. Uh, shotguns are quite small. Yeah. So, I mean, as feathers and fur, do you guys sell any other uh, like uh, products other than the magazine? Yeah, only a, only a couple. You know, really three things. Uh, we sell life jackets uh, for shooting and which was an interesting one. When, when life jackets became compulsory to be used in boats in Victoria, I had to go out and get a life jacket for myself. But I found that the inflatables, they all had gas bottle up on the, on the top, on the shoulder. So you couldn't, you couldn't shoot the gun properly with it. 
And I was watching a video one day and I saw the Australian SAS Army um, uh, doing a, a beach landing. And they were all wearing life jackets, but when they got out, they were all firing guns as well. And I found out that these jackets were manufactured in Australia by a local company and they made the vest a little bit longer and they put all the gas bottles down the bottom so that you could shoot from the, from the shoulder with the gun. So I approached that company and um, we got them made in camouflage and we're the Australian distributors for that jacket now. So we sell life jackets for hunters in full camo with no gas bottle on top that you can shoot with. And we also import a type of decoy called a deke, which is a collapsible rubber decoy. Yep, I've used them. They're quite, they're quite good. You just uh, they're a little rubber, and you pull. They put some sinkers on them or weights, and throw them out, and up they pop. Oh yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. But early on, when we started, we found that it was the same sort of thing with the magazine. The type of magazine we wanted to read wasn't available in Australia, so we made our own. But the types of products that we wanted to buy in Australia, just little things like duck calls and decoy bags and camouflage face nets and all that. None of it was in Australia, and the internet was only in its early days back then, and of course you had import duties, taxes, postage. So for someone to just bring a duck call over from America, the postage killed it. So we started bringing in, in bulk, importing, and we used to sell those types of things. But now that companies here in Australia are all selling them, we don't bother anymore. So we really only sell you know, life jackets, the Deeks decoys, and a few DVDs every now and then. I guess, how long have you been uh, hunting with a shotgun for, and what age did you first start shooting a uh, shotgun? I fired my first shotgun at six. A fair while, 49 years I've been hunting with a shotgun. <laughs> ah, fantastic. So shotguns have been around for years. What do you think the reason is they're you know, still popular for hunting and shooting uh, to this day? They're so versatile. You can, you can hunt anything, anywhere with them. Um, like I own rifles too. I, I, I chase deer every now and then and chase pigs and that sort of thing. But, but uh, you can chase anything, anywhere with a shotgun. And in particular, you can, you can hunt moving targets. Um, and that's what gives a, a shotgun its versatility. Um, the other situation in Victoria too is... The deer are very popular now and have been moved out and there's been some great work done on the deer. But we really only had small game to hunt. It was quail, snipe, duck, rabbit, fox. So all of that can be done with a shotgun. Exactly. What do you think? Do you think there's much difference, say, in the skill required with a shotgun compared to rifles? What's your opinion? Ah, uh, totally different. One's like, one's like swimming up a... A swimming pool in a race and the other one's like diving off a 10 metre high board. <laughs> you, both, you both get wet but it's got to be done totally different. Um, shotgun shooting is a, is a hand-to-eye coordination skill because you're shooting moving targets all the time whereas your rifle shooting in, in the great majority of cases you're shooting at stationary targets at long distances so that becomes a uh, a breathing, a trigger pull, a skill level. So, uh, and, and because you take totally different stances and you hold the guns totally different ways, it's very difficult for a really good rifle shooter to become a really good shotgunner. No, it's true, it's true. I, I, it's funny how people always ask me how I got into sort of, you know, why I like shotguns. And I don't know, I guess, you know, I had some few friends that when I was over in America did a bit of hunting over there. 
um, down in Texas, and we, we did some hunting on some doves and that, and obviously we had at the time semi-autos back in 2008 and and 2009 when I was over there, and I just, there's something about shotguns, I don't know what it is, it's, I mean, not only just for, you know, you can collect, they're just, I don't know, there's something about them that just, there's like an aura around them, I don't, I don't know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like my rifles, I like my pistols too, but just seems to be the shotgun's always the one that does it for me the most, so I guess um, that could probably goes into my next question, you know, what do you think some of the advantages of using a shotgun in the field are, because I mean, it's, what's becoming very popular, and you were just talking about deer before, a lot of the Americans now are starting to use the uh, rifled, um, you know, the, the, the shotguns with rifled slugs to shoot, or rifled barrels, I should say, as well, to shoot to shoot uh, quite large deer with the uh, slugs. So what do you think some of the advantages are? Well, if, if, if it was legal to hunt deer here with shotguns, um uh, you'd, you'd find them to be very popular on deer as well, simply because of uh, the close quarter type hunting on, on when you've got hound teams. But, you know, I, I haven't run with the hound teams and that, so I really can't talk with any great knowledge there. But the advantages on the others are uh, you can cover all forms of game from quail all the way up to a pig, uh, chasing pig in lignum or quail in a stubble paddock and everything in between just by changing chokes and shot sizes you know basically basically the one the one done gun does it all exactly i mean i know some friends that sort of I mean they don't really hunt deer but they've only got you know that's all they've got is a shotgun you know and they say oh that's all i need i'm not you know hunting deer depends on which area you're in obviously but that probably does go into the next question too what do you reckon some of the disadvantages of using uh, a shotgun for hunting uh, well, from my point of view, because of the types of game I hunt and the way I hunt them, uh, there are no disadvantages. But uh, generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, over the whole Australian scene, is um, uh, shotguns are limited by their range. So you can change chokes, you can change pallet sizes to go small birds up to large animals, but it's just limited simply by their range. Um, you know, if you, you're hunting with bird-sized shot, you can go out and bear your backside at 80 metres and nothing's going to hurt you. It just, just doesn't go that far. So that's about the only disadvantage. Like if you wanted to hunt a samba deer in Victoria, uh, to start with, the law says it has to be done with a rifle of a minimum calibre 270. So straight away you're at a disadvantage if you're only a shotgun owner and you want to go deer hunting. You can't. Yeah, no, nah, true. My friend always says that when he goes, oh, we should get into, you know, um, like compound bows and that. I thought, I can't hit him at the best of times. So, I mean, it's time to, you know, no, nah, we do, you know, but it's like, you know, when we get the opportunity, when we get out, I say, you know, I don't want to, I mean, obviously some people are very good with bows and those types of things, but, you know, I'd rather, you know, definitely have the rifle or, you know, depending on what game I'm hunting or the shotgun, that way, you know, if I do get the opportunity, hopefully I'm not going to blow it. That's right. I think after going to all the work, the old saying of, uh, Use enough a gun is a very good uh, thing to remember. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, so I guess we've got into that next question before, but um, what types of games would you say, obviously, in, you know, we're talking Victoria, but let's say Australia, why people can hunt with a shotgun? Well, anything that's legal, but uh, we're, getting, we're getting pretty restricted in Australia these days. Like um, Western Australia, New South Wales and Queensland have banned recreational game bird hunting. So there is no game bird hunting legally. There is still some pest control, but um, so you're you're restricted straight away in those states to hunting vermin. So birds would be 
sparrows, Indian miners, starlings, and, and your animals are basically rabbit, hare, fox. Um, so pretty limited, whereas in Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, uh, and the Territory, Northern Territory, you can still hunt uh, stubble quail, brown quail, depending on which state you're in, um, and all your species of duck. And, of course, then you go right up to your... Um, the geese, uh, the magpie geese in Northern Territory, and even the Cape Barren geese down in Tasmania. Haven't done that yet, but hope to get up and do those Cape Barren. I heard it's quite, quite a lot of fun up there doing that. So, well, What's happened a lot, too, that everyone seems to forget is um, we said we mentioned Tasmania there. Well, to get to Tasmania, you've either got to go by boat or you've got to fly there. And what's been happening in the last... Well, particularly the last 15 years, you've had crazy legislation in states which have closed hunting, but you've also had this massive drought. And Australian hunters, particularly shotgunners, are becoming very well travelled. And New Zealand these days is just another state of Australia. Um, you hop on an aeroplane, you fly over there, and you go hunting. And their, their bird hunting is absolutely amazing. Now, we have, we have better bird hunting in Australia when Australia is wet and if the law allows it. But at the moment, with... Uh, particularly with Queensland and New South Wales being closed, uh, New Zealand is a very, very attractive place for Australians to go to who are bird hunters, particularly if they live in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't been over there yet, but I am trying to, you know, trying to organise a trip with another two friends to go and do some bird hunting over there. It can be fantastic. I mean, especially with the laws, you can, you know, still get access to the pumps and semi-autos, the shotguns and everything like that, and I reckon it'd be great. Oh, yeah, no, it is. You know, I go over there quite often. So, how, how, speaking of that, when you know, if people are travelling outside the country, but obviously about the law change. I mean, how did how do you think that affected the magazine? Not, not just the magazine, but obviously you've been around, you've been in the shotgunning industry for you know many years. How did it affect it? Say when the the laws were changed post nineteen ninety six, uh, and they took off the semi autos. You think that put a huge dent? Yeah, you know, in the in the obviously the waterfowl and the bird hunting industry down there. It sort of did, but it didn't. Like, everyone expected it was going to be a disaster. But you've got to remember, uh, the government had taxpayers' money to spend. So everybody got a very large, exorbitant check. And I can tell you down here, the queues were... Uh, you couldn't get to the counter of a gun shop down here to try and buy a new under and over before the duck season started. So not a lot of people gave the game away because of the gun laws. They just replaced their guns and had different guns. It certainly affected ammunition sales. But the thing that really hurt everything down in, well, here, uh, w has been this drought. And, uh, and, of course, the legislation that banned hunting in New South Wales. That affected everything far more than the gun laws. Um, the majority of hunters just changed guns. The government turned around and said, in their act of stupidity, that... Um, because X amount of people were killed. Imagine it was the Easter holidays. If 35 people had been killed on the roads at Easter, it was just like the government turning around and saying, right, that's it, you can't drive automatic cars anymore, you can only drive manual cars. So we all had to get rid of our Ford Falcon automatics and we all went and bought a Ford Falcon manual. It could still go as fast and it could still do everything exactly the same. And we kept driving and we kept going hunting. So the gun laws that hunters that they made them very, very angry, and they have never forgotten what was done to them. 
I mean, I can imagine, you know, I would hate to see if now if it came in now and you had one and you had to go back and, you know, you just obviously hand it in and get, you know, get a check for it or whatever, you know, it would have been pretty disappointing. I and mean, some people were giving up, like I've spoken to a few previous guests, they had to give up, you know, heirlooms and, you know, uh, guns that were passed down over, you know, uh, you know, decades, you know what I mean? So Yeah, there was family heirlooms, there was, uh, I know, people who... You know, twenty-first birthday presents, and you know, and they're, and they're sixty years of age, and they still had their twenty-first birthday present from mum and dad. I know people who had uh, they won shotguns because they got one the best and fairest in their local country football teams. You know, so you know, thirty-five years ago they won the best and fairest. They still got the shotgun they had. And apart from that, uh, that emotional tie with a lot of those guns, just sheer beautiful works of art and rare antiques. And they just all went in the crushes, just absolutely no, no appreciation of what they were doing whatsoever. Look, it was, a, it was a terrible, terrible period in Australian history to think that a, a, a huge legal law-abiding population of Australia were persecuted to the level that we were persecuted to. It was just it was outrageous to think of it back now and everything that was done achieved nothing. Most of my guests have said that too. Most of the guests agree with your sentiments there. Yeah, all the research, all the science, it all achieved absolutely nothing. It was a, it was a typical political knee-jerk reaction to shore up votes using taxpayer money. <laughs> but I, I got, I got to buy some very nice brand new guns out of it. Courtesy of the uh, Australian government. <laughs> Courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. Yeah. No, no, the government don't care. It's not their money. No, true. So um, obviously we speak about. Uh, this season too, like I mean, it's, it's been pretty wet this last year. How was duck season this year? Though? A lot of people um, spoken to Rod Drew of Field and Game. He says one was one of the best of uh, uh, as long as he can remember. Is that true? And 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 how was it this last year for the for the duck season? Last year's the 2011 duck and quail seasons. The duck season was certainly one of the best ever, and it was certainly the best since at least the 80s. Um, but the quail season, the quail season was probably the best in living memory. I haven't, I haven't spoken to a man who's, who's alive who can ever remember a quail season like took place this year. It was just phenomenal. Now, next year, we don't know what's going to happen with quail because they're so nomadic, but everything's shaping up to be just as good. But the duck season next year and the one after will make history. Back in 1976 and 1979, we had these types of weather conditions. It happened in Victoria and New South Wales, and we had the greatest breeding in history. And in 76, for example, there was reported to be 2 million ducks just on Lake Bullock. Um, but that was only New South Wales and Victoria that was wet. This time, this massive flooding and wet conditions are all the way from Cape York all the way down to the bottom of Australia and, and from the east coast to the west coast. This has never, ever happened before. There are lakes and swamps out there in the middle of the desert that people haven't seen water in. Lake Eyre has filled again for, I think, only the fourth time or fifth time in white man history. The whole place has got water everywhere and it's the largest ever recorded waterfowl breeding. So if ever anyone was going to take up duck hunting <laughs> and want to buy a shotgun... Uh, the year 2012 will go down in the history books. Yeah, I know still a lot of people are still, whether it you know happens or not in the next couple of years, I mean, 
the Shooters Party trying to get back in a, a duck season up here. Whether it will happen yet, well, at that time will tell. But you know, I'd love I'd love to get game bird shooting back up here because that's my sort of you know I love fox shooting, but my ma- yeah, my main passion is definitely wing shooting. So um, you know, it'd be like be great to get it back up here. But I guess sort of. You know, time, time, you know, time will tell on that. So, I guess getting back into some more uh, shotgunning questions. What do you think the uh, range uh, for hunting with a shotgun is? Do you think, I mean, the optimal range? You know, is it the optimal range to get as close as possible, or? Well, it depends. Uh, you know, you can manipulate that by changing chokes and changing shot size and all that sort of thing. But, and technically, you can you can get a shotgun choke cartridge combination that could kill out to uh, 70, 80 metres. No shooter can do that. Um, it's real simple. I think there was a statistic in the US that where 90% of the tar- 90% of the cartridges fired at a duck are fired at ducks in excess of 30 yards, but 90% of ducks bagged are bagged under 30 yards. So they're bagged by only 10% of the cartridges fired. So it's, it's, it's a difficult type of shooting because it comes back to this hand-to-eye coordination at a moving target. So even though you could technically get a gun-shell-choke combination that could consistently kill at, let's say, 70 metres, you can't find a shooter who can consistently hit anything at 70 metres. 30 metres consistently and that's you know 75 percent hit at a moving target is a very skilled shooter yeah no exactly so let's say somebody wants to get into the sport and they want to buy their first shotgun they want to be able to hunt in the field they want to be able to hit the uh ducks for the uh duck season in say victoria what you know what sort of i mean obviously with our limited range of what we have available at the moment what sort of is the most popular is it the under and over or you still get you know would it be better for someone to say buy a side by side what what do you recommend for hunting in the field short barrels long barrels well barrel length is really dictated by uh how the gun fits a person so whether it's a 26 28 or 30 inch barrel it makes no difference whatsoever to the ballistics or, or, or how the gun works. It's, how, it's just how it swings. So that comes down to how the person is built. Are they tall? Are they short? they got long arms, short arms? Are they, are they skinny? Are they big people? So that all comes down to shotgun swing and fit. Um, but the type of guns, well, yeah, well, you've really only got two choices, under and over and side by side. Most popular, simply because... Prior to the gun ban, semi-automatics and pumps were the most popular field guns. Then when they disappeared, the market had to be filled and all the underovers were already there because that's what was being used for target guns. But over the last five or six years, for field shooting, side-by-sides are becoming very, very popular again because of their, they have a shallow break action. So if you're working in a boat or in a duck hide, they're a lot easier to to crack open and kick the shells out and reload because the barrels don't have to dip down so far. Um, so if I was starting from scratch and you know, next year is my first duck season and next year is going to be my first gun, I would lean very heavily towards a side-by-side. And what do you say, what do you think, I mean, let's say someone's going to buy, you know, they, they probably only want to use it for hunting, would you recommend sort of, you know, a fixed 
choke or would you recommend a screw-in choke and what, what, what would your recommendations be to someone new, say, getting into it and, want to, and wanting to shoot next year? Oh, definitely, definitely without doubt, get your screw-in chokes now. Look, there, there are not many guns come into the country now that have got fixed chokes in them anyway. Nearly every firearm that comes in the country has got um, screw-in chokes. And the reason being is that's what the market wanted. Uh, people want guns with screw-in chokes, so every manufacturer does them. Even, even the really low-level base guns come with screw-in chokes now. So it's not like it used to have to pay extra to go from a fixed choke gun to a screw-in choke gun. They've just all got them. And it just makes the gun so, so versatile. Now you can shoot and hunt any form of game or target with the one gun simply by changing your choke tubes and, and shot sizes. Yeah, that is true. So how would, the, let's say they want to go, and they, again, they want to shoot ducks next year. How does someone choose what gauge shotgun they want to do? Um, would it be good, you know, like, let's say, obviously they want to go shooting, you know, it might be quail or duck. What, what's the best gauge? You know, would it depend on the size of the person, male or female? What's the most popular? And how would they go about choosing a particular gauge, something that's going to kill cleanly, humanely, and get them out there on the, uh, on the water shooting? Oh, well... Without doubt, these days, because you, you, you said ducks, um, you have to go for, even beginners, for a 12-gauge gun, simply because on ducks you have to shoot non-toxic ammunition. And non-toxic ammunition, you know, is anything other than lead, um, is available in all the 12-gauge, 12 12-gauge uh, 12 and available in all the loads. There's only, I think there's only one or two brands of ammunition uh, available in 20 gauge, there's none, nothing available in 28 and there's nothing available in 410 I don't believe unless there's something else going to come up next year but without doubt you, you go to a 12 gauge, it's so versatile you've got a huge range of ammunition to choose from and um, if recoil is a problem uh, because of the person's size and everything you just go down to smaller shot weight cartridges so instead of shooting 36 gram loads doing 1700 feet per second you drop down to 28 gram loads doing 1250s and things like that so that takes all the recoil away yeah so let's say um yeah, we're talking about reloading too is that still popular these days for people say wanting to uh tailor loads to suit their needs or is it just the price of ammo is so competitive it's just not worth it these days now nah, reloading basically for shotguns is basically a thing of the past because um you had part of it right. Uh, the cost of ammunition now is so low, it's probably never been, in relationship to the average weekly wage, it's probably never, ever been cheaper to shoot a shotgun than what it is now. There's so many different brands, um, and it's just so cheap that you wouldn't bother reloading anymore. But the other problem that made reloading disappear was the introduction of the non-toxic shot, the ban on lead shot for ducks. So there are no steel shot components. There's no wads. No one has the special powders for them. So nobody reloads for duck hunting because the reloading equipment's just not there. And if it was there, it would be cost prohibitive, so no one would ever do it anyway. So now reloading is a, is a thing that belongs to rifle and pistol shooting these days. Yeah, and I normally go out to the Cecil Park up here, the Olympic range, and I mean, I think it's seven, seven fifty, maybe eight dollars a box. If you buy them in bulk, it's just not worth it, especially for you know trap shooting up here and, and sporting clays and stuff like that. So, 
Yeah, so I guess speaking of that, people want to, you know, they've never, obviously they've got their brand new shotgun, they're ready to head out into the, the field, they want to, you know, get their first duck so they can take it home, put it on the table. How does someone choose what load they're going to need? You know, how do they decipher, you know, say, number nine shot between, say, double OSGs for, say, pigs? If they, if they don't know anything about it, how can they, you know, find the best load that's going to suit them to, you know, say, shoot, you know, ducks, quail? How do they make their decision when, you know, buying cartridges? Uh, a couple of the brands that are out have a little chart on the back of the packet, but also the Winchester uh, website and the Remington website have excellent uh, charts there so that you can match your, your game and its distance and everything, and even your hunting habitat to the type of uh, shot size you wish to use. And there's also a thing here in Victoria called Concept, um, and that's the uh, concept education program where here in Victoria, the Victorian government have put $200,000 into education programs for hunters which actually do that. And we, we have in the past run a series of articles in the magazine which show exactly uh, what type of bird, you know, grey teal, wood duck, black duck, and whether you're hunting over decoys or you're past shooting and what your choke and shot combination should be. So there's quite a lot of information out there on that and even the Victorian Government Department of Sustainability and Environment on their website under the hunting section um, they have those charts there as well so we're very we're very well catered for uh, in Victoria to get new hunters educated quickly and up to speed with that type of thing Exactly. No, good points there for sure. So I guess we got into this before, but do you think uh, does barrel length on a shotgun does that affect the accuracy uh, in say in regards to either accuracy or in how uh, the range of the shotgun, or do you think it doesn't matter at all? No, it doesn't. It doesn't affect the range, but yeah, it can affect accuracy simply because um, uh, the way it can make a shooter swing. Like every shotgun shoots differently. It's every person shoots exactly differently, different to each other. They might all hit the target, but if you observe them as a coach, you can see, geez, he does it this way, he does it that way, she does it that way, he does it this way. None of them do it the same. And that's because it is a hand-to-eye coordination situation. And nearly everybody in Australia is self-taught. Um, they didn't get taught by qualified coaches like they would if they were in England or even America. So, um, so get back to your barrel length. If if you're a big, tall man, and your style of shooting is very fast, then a 26-inch barrel gun may be too quick for you. You you could flip out past the target and get far too far in front. So you know, they might be better off with a 30-inch barrel, which assists in slowing their swing down. And it all depends on how they're balanced. The one thing with shotguns is. They're the sort of thing you can't just buy, take out of the box and be shooting with. They have to be fitted because unlike a rifle with a telescopic sight or a front sight and a rear sight, um, you've only got one bead at the front and a shotgun and, and your eyes are the, are the, the rear sight. So you, you should be shooting a shotgun both eyes open and where you look when you throw the gun up and you're looking at the target, you never ever look at the gun. You throw the gun up, your eyes don't come off the target and you go bang. That's where the gun has to shoot. So if you went out on a pattern board and you threw the gun up and you went bang and you saw that the, the pattern is all going in the wrong spot, uh, you know, high left, 
if that was a rifle, you'd take the covers off the scope and you go click, 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 and you'd bring it into where it's going to go. The only way you can do that with a shotgun is you have to have the stock adjusted. The stock might be too long, the pitch might be wrong, it might need cast left or right. So to take it to the full degree, a shotgun needs to be fitted to every individual. Uh, absolutely. So I guess uh, some people, I had a few people ask me a question of whether, you know, some people run in their rifles, you know, some people agree with it, some people don't. Is there any such thing, just say for the new the new guy that's bought, he's, you know, he's gotten into the, the sport, he's got his brand new shotgun, he's, he's ready to head out. Is there any such thing as running in a shotgun or just throw some shells in it and off we go? No, no, you don't have to run them in. Whatever it's going to do today is going to do the same thing in 100 years' time. Um, but the only thing that you could call running in is uh, if they're stiff to open and shut because they're brand new, they'll eventually wear in and they'll, they'll get easier to open and close and, and that sort of thing. But from when you take it out of the box, the first lot of pellets you throw out that barrel, uh, the next lot of pellets in 100 years' time are going to go on the same spot. So, no, you don't have to run them in. Exactly. So, uh, I guess let's speak of that. What's your? Have you got any favourite shotguns you've got? Sort of you've had for a long time. And what's your? What's your favourite game species to hunt? You, what do you prefer hunting down there? Well, a favourite shotgun. I do have one favourite shotgun. I've got a um, a Gruler side by side, which was um, made in Spain. It's a very very high class gun, and uh, I had that uh, made to order. Um, by the company in Spain after I'd won my um, I'd won the side by side national championship in Australia, and I had that built especially after that, and then uh, a few years later I uh, with that gun I won my second national championship with that gun, so that that holds a a pretty emotional part for me and it's a very beautiful high grade gun too, so uh, so that's probably my favourite gun. Um, but my favourite game, without doubt, is duck. You can't go past duck hunting. <laughs> what do you like to... Actually, I had some uh, grey teal the other night. I went down to the uh, rice fields about three weeks ago and brought home some nice uh, breasts that the uh, you know the uh, farmer was sort of helping out. He goes, yeah, take what you want. And we had some nice veggies. So do you, do you do you like eating them too? Do you bring them home for the table or not a big fan? Or? All right, no, no, we have them here pretty regular. I've got to admit, I... I, I probably, uh, as far as game birds go, I'd rather eat quail, but that doesn't mean I don't dislike duck. We like duck. We have it lots of different ways here during the season. Um, both my children were, were brought up on it too, so they, they both eat duck, even though they both moved away from home. Every now and then you've got to supply them, but they both hunt as well, So um, both my daughters. So it's been a, a family activity, but... You can't beat duck hunting, like ducks over decoys and working a Labrador and whether you're working from a boat or, or from a hide, it's, it's just being out there in the wetland, being there when the sun comes up um, and, and hearing the birds go over top in the darkness. Look, it's so good that I go out, I go out, out of season uh, quite often and take my camera. So, you know, there's... There's swamps and wetlands here in, in the suburbs of Melbourne with housing estates all around them. And um, you can quite often find me down there before sunrise uh, wading out in the swamp putting decoys out and the dog and I will sit out there and call ducks and decoy ducks and I just shoot them with the camera. So I just love being out there. Duck, duck hunting is the number one. 
Absolutely. So, what do you before we before we wrap up? Can you tell us, say, you know, whether it be say a professional accomplishment or even say one of your best days on the ducks, for an example, something that you know say sticks in your mind as one of the best days in Graham Eames' life? Oh, gee. Well, winning the side by side national championship twice—that was uh, a bit of a buzz—and I've been runner-up in it twice and ran third in it once. I've shot it five times, so I've been placed every time. That was a bit of a buzz, target shooting-wise. Hunting-wise, uh, my wife Julie and I went on a, a trip to Africa back in 1998, our first trip to Africa. We went over there for a month and we, we hunted game birds every day for a month except for about five days. Um, that was a real eye-owner and fantastic. I've been to the, we've gone to the World Duck Calling Championship in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Um, we've, been, we've been over there twice and... I just love that. Can you imagine going somewhere where a town of 10,000 people, the population swells to 60,000, and the duck calling festival goes for an entire week? They close off the main street, there's a stage set up, and there's duck calling eats every day, every day a week of just duck calling. So that's great. Um, I've had a couple of trips to Argentina where the the hunting is just stunning. Canada geese over decoys in New Zealand. To see Canada geese coming from two kilometres or more away, where you're three kilometres, where you're looking at them in the binoculars and they're only specks, and you start waving a flag, and at about a kilometre and a half you start calling, and you see them turn into the wind a kilometre and a half away and sail all the way to your paddock to land in your decoy spread is uh, an amazing sight. But look, probably the... Probably one of the things I remember was uh, my wife and I, Julie, were hunting at Cullen's Lake one day, and the day before we'd been at the marshes, and we were both sitting on a log, and the hunting was pretty slow. Anyway, a pair of black duck came in, and uh, Julie was on my right, and I was on the left, and they came from the right-hand side. So just as I called the shot, they came out of the decoy, so I said, take them now, and as I got up, I grabbed the back of her waders, and I pulled her down and left her sitting on the log. I stacked both the ducks. She wasn't too happy about that. So the next day, the next day we're in a Cullen's Lake and we're in a pit blind. So we've dug a hole in the edge of the, the lake. And of course, it had filled up with water. And this water was black goo full of swan cack and duck cack and water and everything. And uh, anyway, we're sitting there and all of a sudden, Julie says to me, here they come, they're coming from the left, get down, get down. Because we had a mound of dirt in front of us that we dug out of the hole. And I said, I can't see them. And she said, get down, they're coming from my side. I'll call the shot. So I've got down, I'm leaning forward. And she says, lower, lower. And what happened was there were no ducks. She was watching the water level come up to the top of my waders. And as I've leaned forward, she kept saying, get down, get down. And I did. Until all the water gushed in over the front of my waders. And it was freezing. And... Uh, yeah, that's when she said, ha, ha, I got you back from yesterday. <laughs> oh, so long as she's a hunter, mate, you want to hold on to her, that's for sure. Oh, yes, no, she's a, she's a good old chook. <laughs> no, that's all right. You, since you've done a lot of stuff, man, I'd love always keep looking at over at the doves over in Argentina or the pigeons, whatever they call them over. I'd love to get over there and do that hopefully within a couple of years. I mean, I haven't sort of gotten out of Australia, except for, you know, when I've gone to the States, but, you know, I'd love, I'd love to get over Argentina. I've seen all the footage, or Uruguay with the doves, and they've just got millions, there's millions, you know, it'd be, it'd be amazing. So I guess the, the last question to finish off, you know, if people want to 
you know, give you a, either call or your website or how can they subscribe to the magazine, how can they ring you up, how can they buy it, where can they buy it. And, uh, yeah, if you give us the details, your website and that, where people can go on. Yeah, look, uh, where they can buy it is an interesting one. Uh, the standard answer there would be go to your local newsagent. But because, like I mentioned early on, shotgunning is, is so limited to where it really takes place, uh, we get a lot of people who are away from areas where the magazines don't get distributed to newsagents, so they don't get to see it. So all they've got to do is uh, ring us, and that way the magazine is delivered to their door a week before it's on the newsstands anyway, and they never get to miss an issue. Uh, or they can go to our website, which is just three W's and a dot, feathersandfur.com.au, and subscribe online, or just give us a call and uh, we can do it over the phone for them. Absolutely. Sounds great. Well, I guess thanks for coming on the show today to uh, talk about us. I know people are going to enjoy this. There's definitely a lot of shotgunners out there. There's going to be some you know, new people listening to this. There's going to be some older people that are already in the industry, but I'm sure... You know, listening to you today, they'll definitely get, you know, a lot of new information. Yeah, maybe some stuff they didn't know, maybe some stuff they did know. But, yeah, they can get out there in the field, get hunting, get their shotguns out, might renew their someone's passion even. If we can achieve that today from this uh, yeah. this show, interviewing you, I think we've done we've done a service to the uh, shooting community. So, uh, Jason, just before we go, if I'd like to add something for all your listeners out there. Yep. Um, we've just finished doing an article, which will be in the February magazine, about state game reserves in Victoria. Now, next year, without doubt, is going to be the year for people to start duck hunting. It's going to be probably the best in history. However, what a lot of people don't know, and Victoria is unique to this, Victoria is the best place to be a duck hunter. We have 181 areas of public land set aside for recreational duck hunting, totaling over a quarter of a million hectares. And they've been bought since 1959 with hunters' licence fees, and they're set aside. You can go and camp there, stay there, hunt there, fish there. Basically, you don't need the problem of access in Victoria. It's all there for you to go. So anyone listening from interstate who has a problem where they can't go hunting, Victoria is the place to go. Get your camper van and get your tents and come on down and see us next year. We'll get you out there. I think I'll move there. I won't bother to bring you my camper van. I'm going to move down there, you know, bugger this New South Wales, you know. What are they doing up here, you know? I keep telling them, you know, but hopefully that changes. I mean, they, you know, they realise how silly some of these laws are. I mean, there hasn't been a duck season here since, as you said, 94, 95. So, I mean, I, I think the numbers would be there for a sustainable... Uh, you know, uh, duck season, even if it was for four, four to six weeks. I mean, you know, I don't think we're, you know, hunters would necessarily make a huge dent on the populations I've seen, especially around even just on the outskirts of Sydney. I'm um, thousands, you know, you, w- you wouldn't believe it. You know, properties that I go to, dams, um, just fantastic. So, no, well, that's why when it got banned in 1995, that's when we christened New South Wales the land of evil and darkness. Because it just <laughs> moves back into the dark ages. I know, I know. Well, I guess that's great, uh, Graham. Thanks for coming on the show. I hope people are going to, as I said, uh, listen to it, get a lot of information out of it, uh, you know, and they'll hopefully, you know, as I subscribe to the magazine, ring you up, you'll get some subscriptions hopefully as well. So, you know, I love the magazine. A lot of people read it. 
few of my friends read it as well. We always pick it up, and there's always some great articles in there too. So if the listener's listening, if you don't know it and you haven't checked it out, go on uh, Graham's website, Feathers and Fur. Uh, give him a call, or you can uh, subscribe to the magazine and uh, get one of the best uh, field, or best and only, I should say. I'm pretty sure it's the only uh, field shotgunning magazine dedicated to uh, you know bird hunting and shotguns in Australia. I am correct, aren't I, uh, Graham? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, right, so thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, and uh, thanks again. No worries. Bye, Jason. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.